You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Bill Taylor testifying behind a closed door deposition in Washington, D.C. earlier today, the top diplomat to Ukraine. What did he have to tell the House investigators looking into the impeachment inquiry? Plus, the latest with regards to 2020. And did you see this? Silicon Valley CEOs appear to have chosen their 2020 candidate. Fresh off of that Bloomberg scoop from Bloomberg's Tyler Pager, Pete Buttigieg appears to be Mark Zuckerberg's favorite candidate. And another scoop from Bloomberg. Jennifer Jacobs reporting with Saleh Mosin that President Trump is floating Mulvaney replacements. Mnuchin, Kellyanne, so much to get through. All-star panel here to walk us through it. Doug High, Republican strategist, and of course, Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. But first, did you did you see this? Uh, I'm joined, by the way, by, by Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair, who's suffering from the chats. <laughs> I'm suffering from the Eagles. Tom Keene was making fun of me earlier today on Bloomberg Television because of the Eagles' loss. And the Jets lost. I mean, it's just been a mess for us, Joe. But that was our best team on the field last night. <laughs> it's like, there's no getting better after this. It's like. <laughs> Doug Heiss here, Republican strategist, former RNC comms director, and former deputy chief of staff to the former House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. You're a Nats fan. Uh, I'm a Yankees fan, first and Ugh. foremost. But you're rooting for the Nets. Sure, yeah. I mean, especially with this Houston Astros or the Houston Rockets drama that's been going on with regards to the, the, the Hong Kong. I feel like everybody should be rooting for the real America's team. I don't think anybody should be cheering for anything Houston right now between you the know? Rockets controversy, obviously the Astros controversy yes. with, with the press over the last day and a half. Yes. Um, not good times to be a sports team in Houston. Poor Houstonites. Oh I know God. it's pouring rain outside, and we are going to talk about politics, I promise, for those listening in New York. <laughs> um uh, I promise we'll get there. But the the National Park Service, did you see this? They've temporarily and unofficially renamed the National Mall to Nash to Nats Mall, and they have the dub, the, the the logo mm-hmm. of the Washington National uh, of the Nats. They have that ingrained on on all of the green. I don't know if you can see it because it's been miserable and raining all day today. So let me get this straight: it's no longer Trump's mall. <laughs> don't get something? me in trouble. I'm just oh, a sorry. journalist. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> speaking of President Trump, he had of course. Quite, 
All right, here we go. All right, <laughs> sigh and back to the action, Kev. <laughs> Focus, buddy. Okay, so uh, Bill Taylor testified on Capitol Hill earlier today. He, of course, is one of the top diplomats, Joe, uh, to Ukraine. And it was another another closed-door testimony between the before the panels, the House panels, that are investigating into the Ukraine uh, story. And Billy House reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal, quote, Acting Ambassador to Ukraine William Taylor also quoted senior diplomat Gordon Sondland, there's that name again, as saying Trump wanted Ukraine's President Zelensky in a public box, according to a prepared statement to congressional t- committees on Tuesday that was obtained by the Washington Post and confirmed by others with the account. The account directly contradicts, this is why it matters, everybody, the account directly contradicts President Trump's assertions that there were no quid pro quo behind that July 25th phone call with Zelensky. All right, Joe Crawley, quid quid pro quo or quid pro Joe? Well, they never said quid pro quo <laughs> or quid pro Joe, so it didn't really happen. Uh, I think it's back to, again, again, still removed directly from the president, but he already admitted that in the release of the, of the transcripts uh, of the conversation or uh, the redacted transcripts of the conversation uh, with the, the, the president of Ukraine. So, um, look, it's, again, another, I think, another damning day, but we'll see what happens. Doug, how, I mean, did, did, did the testimony today or, or the argument of a contradiction on the quid pro quo argument from this, this acting ambassador to Ukraine, does that, how does that impact the state of impeachment play? Well, it certainly doesn't help the president's argument that he's now been directly um, contradicted by somebody, again, that he appointed, in fact, was supposed to replace the quote unquote, very big quotes, bad ambassador to the Ukraine. He was, right. you know, then replaced with the good one who's now said, no, actually, here's what Trump did. So it doesn't help his argument at all. And if you look at what, you know, House and, and Senate Republicans are, are, are talking about on this issue now, they never talk about the substance, they talk about process. And it's because process is the only way they have to go. Usually in Washington, if you're talking about process, you're losing. Certainly you can argue <laughs> that Republicans are losing, yeah. um, but they're going on process because they think it's the one place that they can go that will resonate with voters, or at least their voters. So take a listen to what Congressman Jim Jordan, he's been on the program several times, a Republican from Ohio, uh, what he had to say with regards to uh, the, the latest testimony. Here's Jim Jordan. These are the people with supposedly the firsthand knowledge who gave the whistleblower the information that formed the basis of his complaint. And we have, in my, my estimation, we, we, we probably haven't heard from any of them. So, I mean, you have that, Joe, in which they're saying, you know, this is being done behind closed doors. This, this ought to be this ought to be much more public. Uh, and, and, you know, I think you could even find some Democrats who think that this ought to be uh, made more public. I think all of this will be made public. Uh, what they're doing is they're putting together uh, a case. They're, they're, they're gathering the evidence, and it's being done with Democrats and Republicans in the room. So this is not just Democrats in a room in a closet taking all this information and putting it together. They're doing it, uh, and it's being done in the Intel Committee. And that's because... Uh, there is a, there's no outside investigation going on. There's no Stark uh, uh, investigator. There's no Mueller investigating this itself right now. And they would do it very quietly as well. They would do it behind closed doors, and you know they're not going to do that publicly either. But when they create the, they're going to create the the case, make the case uh, for the indictment, which is impeachment. That's what I think they're going to do. All right. So now we've got to get into President Trump's tweet today about this. Did you? The, 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 I I'm going to read. Well, the president uh, essentially tweeted. Uh, that uh, getting to impeach him is equivalent to some type of quote-unquote lynching. Now that drew 
very, very forceful pushback, uh, not just from Democrats and members of the Congressional Black Caucus, but also from some Republicans. Uh, let's first listen to Hakeem Jeffries, who is who was on Capitol Hill. He's a Democrat from New York, your neck of the woods. And what he had to say, Joe, about this lynching tweet. Here it is. The president should not compare a constitutionally mandated impeachment inquiry to such a dangerous and dark chapter of American history. It's irresponsible for him to do so. And I hope that he will apologize. Joe. Yes. I mean, but uh, you've got there. I mean, so you've got Democrats saying that there's you heard just there from Hakeem Jeffries. Adam Kinzinger is a Republican congressman from suburban Chicago. He said, quote, in a tweet, we can all disagree on the process and argue merits, but never should we use terms like lynching here. The painful scourge in our history has no comparison to politics, and President Trump should retract this immediately. I think every person in government, both Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever they may call themselves, but one person in this town knows that what he said was wrong, and that's Donald Trump. And he, he, he lacks the sensitivity, number one, the historical reference, uh, what it actually means, what it meant, um, what, uh, how it is interpreted by particularly the African-American community, but by all communities uh, of a very ugly part of our past and sometimes even the present, um, that, uh, that, that, that he would go there at the victimhood that he's demonstrating right now isn't very Trumpian, quite frankly. It's, 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 it's actually the opposite. That's and, interesting. Yeah, it's Trump the new is, Trumpian. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm, I'm greater than anybody else. I'm, I'm, my name's everywhere. Um, and all of a sudden, now he's the victim. So know? here, Doug, I want here's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell reacting to that tweet again about the, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I, by the way, I've been hoarse the past couple of days, and I'm taking care of myself, and I'm drinking a lot of tea, but I can't control the throat. Um, but anyway, here's Senate it's Majority. It's Don, Donald Trump's staff says that he can't control the throat. <laughs> That's why we're tweets, here, right? Or the tweets. <laughs> um, uh, but here's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, really responding about about this particular tweet. Take a listen. Given the history in our country, I would not uh, compare this uh, to uh, a lynching. That was an unfortunate uh, choice of words. McConnell. Yeah, look, that's pretty standard for, for what Republicans have said, not just about this. Kinzinger is more of an outlier. I think there should be more Adam Kinzingers, more outliers, so that they're less But, but Leader of an McConnell outlier. in the past couple of weeks, whether it's Syria, whether it's the, 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 the controversies regarding uh, some of the other tweets that have gone on in recent weeks, the op-ed that he, mm -hmm. that he wrote in the, in the Washington Post, and now uh, with this tweet, he has been much more – Based on my coverage, I don't want to say more responsive because that insinuates that he's not always keeping an eye on everything. But he's been much more – I don't know. I mean, have you noticed yeah. a change in, in and, the and response? From, from other people, a sentence like that would be rather milk toast. From Mitch McConnell, that means a whole lot more. Yeah, it does. Um, because he generally really keeps his cards co close to his chest. And we have been seeing more of this um, from McConnell. And part of that is you know, what we saw today is the personality. Where Republicans uh, for for Trump, where Republicans are more comfortable going after him and really going after him, is on the is on the policy. And so when when we saw what happened with Syria and the Kurds, that's why so many Republicans were felt almost freer to not just speak out but to be outraged because they genuinely were outraged. The rest of it is, oh, Trump tweeted this today or said this tomorrow, which was awful. Well, we're going to have to deal with this again next week because he's going to tweet or say something else. And I think Doug is right. Just add this one caveat though. They, they're outraged about the policy. 
but it's because they have his back on impeachment that they know that they can get away with saying other things now. That's yeah. that's really what it comes down to. You know, Trump is so afraid of losing on impeachment, he's not going to attack them necessarily as aggressively as he had in the past. That's interesting. Yeah, we, we've seen it with, with Graham. We saw it with Lindsey Graham, you know, when, when he differed, you know, vociferously against the president on the Syria move. The well, president kind of tap danced around his anger with uh, with Graham. I want to say we're, we're going a little long here, but I, I, I want you mentioned Lindsey Graham. Here's what Lindsey Graham said about the lynching tweet, because he's an interesting one in all this. Here he is. Nobody's saying that the president is going to be physically hurt here, but this is mob rule. That's what lynching is all about. Senator Lindsey Graham, who was out front in the criticism with regards to foreign policy, essentially just backing up the president on that controversial, racially charged tweet. All right, panel stays. Doug Hyde, Republican strategist, former RNC communications director, and former deputy chief of staff to Eric Cantor and Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Yes, I am still a Philadelphia fan. But this for the World Series, I am always Team Washington. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I wouldn't use the word lynching, but I would love for the House to take up the unanimously passed lynching legislation from the Senate and do something with it as opposed to complaining simply about the president's use of it. That was Senator Tim Scott, a Republican from South Carolina. He is African-American. And uh, talking about the president's usage of the word lynching in a tweet earlier today, saying that he was receiving a quote-unquote lynching because of the impeachment inquiry that drew swift condemnation from several Democrats, including Senator Scott and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We have all of our attention focused on rooting for the Washington Nationals this evening. And Doug Heiss here. He is a Republican strategist, former RNC comms director, also worked as the deputy chief of staff to Eric Cantor and Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. So we were talking earlier about how the Nats, they've gotten the National Park Service to put uh, the the logo and uh, on the on the national on the wa- the National Mall, mm-hmm. that thing with all the monuments, Kev. Um, and it reminded me of the curse of Billy Penn because in Philadelphia, the, the, the Billy Penn statue, they would put whenever there was a major sports team that would go to the finals, such as the Phillies or the Flyers, they would put, uh, they would put like the jersey over it. But the curse, it was like a curse because every time they did it and they never won until October of 2008 when the Philadelphia – Phillies won the World Series. So, who knows? Maybe there'll be like a lawnmower curse on the on the National Mall. I thought the curse for the Nationals was when they finally let Teddy win. Oh, the Nationals I hadn't actually done this. anything. And so, you know, if anybody who's watched Bull Durham knows, you don't mess with a streak. <laughs> and the Nats had a streak of Teddy not winning. They messed with that, and then they collapsed against St. Louis. So, we'll see. If something really bad happens... It's Teddy's fault. You know, always it's always blame Ted. You know, just we'll take always, him off Mount right. Rushmore. It's so, valid as a goat curse in Chicago. <laughs> There's always these weird curses. All right, let's let's talk about uh, let's stick with foreign policy. We were talking about Ukraine and impeachment earlier, uh, but let's stick with this because the situation with Syria and Turkey continues to escalate, folks. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, he was asked about it. And he was he's been calling for the Senate to adopt the House resolution condemning President Trump's 
withdrawal of U.S. troops from northern Syria. McConnell's been a little bit standoffish on on this condemnation vote, uh, but take a listen to what Schumer had to say earlier. They don't have a plan, so they can't come before us with nothing. I don't blame them. I blame the president. I blame Pompeo some, too. <laughs> I guess I guess he's like But not, he got that in there. Yeah. <laughs> I guess just some. Uh, take a listen to Leader McConnell talking uh, similarly about this. Here he is. But I caution us against developing a reflex to use sanctions as our tool of first, last, and only resort in implementing our foreign policy. Sanctions may play an important role in this process, and I'm open to the Senate considering them. But we need to think extremely carefully before we employ the same tools against a democratic NATO ally that we would against the worst rogue states. So that's interesting to me, Joe, is, is McConnell's position in all of this. Because y- you hear from the Democrats, and, and given that Schumer's in the minority, you kind of expect, oh, vote to condemn, condemn. But McConnell's walking a very different, uh, or, or it seems to be playing a very different, uh, on a different game in a different field. Explain that to us, Joe. Well, I think he's, he's diverting the attention away from the condemnation of the president and his actions with, uh, of withdrawing uh, troops from Syria, um, uh, with the, uh, conflating with the issue of sanctions themselves. And I think there's debate on both sides of the aisle as to whether or not these are actually effective uh, or means of doing this and where does it end, so to speak. But uh, he's really trying to, I think, divert from uh, having to uh, really uh, focus on the issue of condemning the president's actions, which are really a separate from w- what steps you take now after Turkey actually comes into Syria. But Turkey, Doug High, Turkey and NATO, wow. I mean, there's there's a rel- there's an examination. NATO on the brink is what the Daily Express called it. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, just a couple of days ago, Pompeo briefed NATO on the Turkey ceasefire. I mean, so when you look at it through the lens of, of McConnell right now, who is essentially the most important a politician in the Senate as it relates to this. Sorry, Rand Paul, but it, it, but but he's really got he's got a tough job. Yeah, he, he does, and you know we should remember that we can't remove politics from any of this. And no, so, you can't. So Mitch Some McConnell. Some days I would like to. Uh, every day at this point, I would love to. But look, <laughs> that and social media. Get rid of Twitter. I think. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. There's especially again going back to the, the president. Really, soapbox strikes again. Go ahead. But. Uh, you know, the, so one of the challenges for McConnell here is how do you how do you do that? How do you criticize, let's say, not condemn um, the moves that the president has made when it's come to Turkey and, and Syria and the Kurds um, without moving for condemnation? Because this also says, well, it make, makes it very easy to say, well, you've condemned him on this, so clearly you can move something uh, on on um, impeachment as well. And so, if the Senate is the impeachment firewall for Donald Trump, you're not going to see a Senate vote condemning. Trump. And imagine Trump's reaction, you know, if that were to happen. I think we could get to a really bad place if we didn't think we were there already very quickly. And Kevin, I think the ante's up now that uh, Turkey and Russia have entered an agreement now of policing the border that was announced today. You know, the president, in my opinion, is is apparently playing checkers when Syria, uh, Russia, uh, Greece, and all the other countries in the region are playing chess. Uh, I've never seen a, a, a more blatant example of that as we have over the last two weeks. So can I say, I use that example all the time, but in a bit of a different way, is we talk so often about, well, is the White House playing four-dimension chess here? And I say, no, they're playing checkers. That's it. And that can actually be smart if you know that you're playing checkers and everybody else thinks you're playing chess. The problem is 
so often with this White House, they think they're playing chess, but they're playing checkers. That's the problem. And tonight, I'm stealing that. <laughs> tonight, tonight, everybody's playing baseball. Coming up, man. <laughs> yes, days. indeed. And just a, just a final note on uh, on the turkey thing, though. Uh, the turkey thing. This, this escalating situation. I mean, it is striking that Erdogan is now openly floating potentially wanting nuclear weapons. I mean, blink and you'll miss that. That that comment, his first comments at a press conference, I, I mean, is, is a remarkably different tone just within the last two weeks where he's now, again, openly floating that uh, going way beyond Syria. The headline from the New York Times reading, Erdogan's ambitions go beyond Syria. He says he wants nuclear weapons. That got a lot of international pickup yesterday, uh, but it's not something that I think the mainstream press has, has really dominated discourse on but maybe will joe stays doug stays download the bloomberg sound on podcasts on apple itunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the bloomberg business app you can also find us on radio.com iHeartRadio, and spotify i'm kevin cerilli i'm from philly and i'm not gonna give the billy cur- the curse of billy pen that was rhyming uh for for the washington nats you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 the countdown has begun from may 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. Doug Heiss here, Republican strategist, former RNC Communications Director and Deputy Chief of Staff to House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. How's Eric doing? Doug? He's great. He's great. He has no stress at all because all these things that we talk about with whatever crazy thing Donald Trump tweeted today, not his problem. Yeah, I bet you he'll be watching the Nats tonight. Joe Crowley's also here. Nope. Former, <laughs> former, <laughs> former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. Uh, you just got back from India. What were you doing in India, Joe? I was just uh, meeting with some uh, clients from our firm over in India and doing some added value uh, to them, uh, talking about the state of play of politics in America. What is the state of play? <laughs> Damned if I know right now. It's uh, did you see that? Very fluid. Talk, very fluid. Very all right, fluid. Is Hillary Clinton getting in this race? It's all all the ca- no. every time I flip through no. cable news, everyone say, "Is she going to get in? She's going after Tulsi." No, you say no. I don't no think way. so. No, I don't think she will. Why did she do this with Tulsi Gabbard? Well, I think to some degree was I, I don't want to diminish the the podcast she she was on, but it wasn't like she it's went not on like NBC she's on News. Sound on. And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't pretend to know exactly what the strategy is. Except, I think she is somewhat concerned about, um, you know, the watering down of, of of the vote for Democrats going into the election and having spoilers. Uh, and what's the and what's the same way that Jill Stein, uh, in others. I don't buy this. Well, that's, do you? You know, I don't know at this point. I really don't know. Doug, what do you? Is. Because I mean, for me, it's like if you can't win and you're in a major party, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, then uh, maybe you don't have the right. Maybe you just can't win. Yeah, and look, you know, Republicans have that same issue of, gosh, we got to get to 50% on one of right. these elections, or, yeah, we've also got problems. But look, I think ultimately when Hillary Clinton speaks out on something, I always, I always email a couple of friends who either work for or have worked for, for Hillary, and they always, even private emails or texts, defend her to the hilt. She has every right to say this, which no <laughs> one questions. But two people like it when Hillary Clinton speaks out, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. That ought to tell them something. Right. All right. So then you got Pete Buttigieg, who's essentially, I guess, now jockeying or auditioning to be the alternative to Joe Biden. Joe, how's that going for him? 
Well, I think you know there's there's multiple people uh, jockeying for that, um, but I, I think it's probably a, a sound play at this point. Uh, it's really a question as whether Joe can actually rebound from uh, the last debate and uh, and get back on, on on square. Doug, who do you think? Yeah. I mean, how does how's Biden holding up? Look, I, he's still holding up. You know, he he, he's he's not necessarily the front runner right now. Um, the the last debate wasn't great for him. It wasn't terrible for him. He he needs a good, if not home run, and he, he needs a good triple in one of these debates, which he's which he's lacked, and that may silence some folks. He also needs to raise money. And you know, when we were looking at the last finance uh, before the fan, financial reports came out last, we were talking about how Joe was in in trouble, and but we got to see what his fundraising numbers were, right. and they weren't good. That's a real problem for him. But I think Doug may be right though. Like you know, the fact that he's no longer the front runner may ease some of the stress and tension that's been yeah. there. And maybe I'm in trouble. I need to raise the money, and let's see if people respond to that. Or not if they want yeah. the moderate to be the, uh, the and candidate. With, and with months before we have anybody voting, not being the front runner means you're not in the line of fire. And one of the reasons that Elizabeth Warren surged, okay, she has a message which a lot of candidates don't. Um, she's an aggressive fundraiser which a lot of candidates haven't been. Um, but also, she wasn't taking on any incoming. So it's only been the past couple of weeks where people are saying, "You don't have a plan to pay for that." Did um, you guys see? Go ahead. And, and and all the other, you know, all the other issues that she's now being confronted with that she didn't when she wasn't the front. Did runner. you guys see Dave Katniss, David Katniss's piece today for McClatchy News on Pete Buttigieg? He's been on the program before. He wrote this piece that uh, he got a copy of Buttigieg's focus group yep. in South Carolina, uh, and I'm, I'm reading from the story or the headline of the story, which says. Uh, Buttigieg focus groups found being gay is a barrier for some black South Carolina voters. I, 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 Joe, do we think we're oversimplifying this issue? Look, I, I think he's a very talented man. And uh, I think he has the goods to be president. He's clearly one of the smartest, if not the smartest uh, uh, person running for president right now. Certainly competes in terms of uh, his intellect. I think Biden has the experience. I think uh, Warren has more experience. I think even even Bernie Sanders has more experience in terms of some of these issues. Uh, In terms of the actual issue of being gay, I think America has come a long way, baby, as we say. I certainly think when certain parts of the country and maybe even within certain more conservative elements of the African-American clergy – that, that may be an issue, but I think generally speaking, you know, as I said, we've come a long way, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's the I don't think it's the barrier it once was. David Katniss's story is is great journalism, so I'm not criticizing the story. I'm criticizing the focus group, Doug, because mm-hmm. I think what the problem that a lot of folks have with these pollsters and these focus groups is they're oversimplifying an issue, and it's too cheap. It feels cheap, like oh. South South Carolinian black voters can't like a gay candidate. That that feels cheap to me. And to Joe's point, I think that if he starts showing up. If he doesn't get elected or he does get elected, it's going to be on the merits of his ideas, his ideology, and his ability to connect with voters and and, and to have conversations with them. Is it not? Well, by and large, that's true. But that's not the com- the complete you know case with with any candidate. It, you know, it's not just about their ideas. It's it's what everybody. It's what their voters si- sign up on. Who they are, the presence they bring. But I can tell you, being from from North Carolina. Um, that that's a real sen- sentiment within a part of the African American community. It may not be a deal killer, but it's a barrier to entry. And I remember, yeah, we've come a long way. Uh, but if you go back to the um, anti-gay marriage vote in California, the reason that passed was church-going black women um, voted for about seventy-five percent to twenty-five percent, which was this was the state referendum. So that's still there in the African American community, especially in the conservative part of the southern 
um, African-American community, where if the Republican Party could figure out how to actually talk to African-American voters about any issue that they care about, they might be able to make some inroads there. They just haven't shown any interest. What Mayor Pete may need is a breakthrough moment with the African-American community, too. Mm -hmm. He's had some setbacks in his hometown in in terms of uh, relations there. He needs a breakthrough moment, I think, to really put some spotlight Well, I think think people are right. I think there are questions yet to ask all the candidates. Number one, how can a mayor of a small town project that onto onto the national stage, examining his record and and whatnot? The final point I'll put on this, though, I think I think that they're quite frankly selling South Carolina a little short with this focus group. I think that they're they're grossly underestimating where people are right now. What do I know? I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Game time. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Let's go Nats. We're just a couple of hours away from game one of the World Series. We're also just a couple of hours away. This is a pivot. Sorry, folks. But Mark Zuckerberg is testifying before the Financial Services Committee tomorrow. He's going to be grilled on cryptocurrency and Facebook Libra, as well as their di- digital wallet Calibra. I, you know, they've been they've been uh, going very, very hard in terms of uh, Facebook and whatnot. And French Hill's going to be on. Congressman French Hill, a Republican from Arkansas. Uh, he's, he's really, folks, emerged as one of the go-to people on this issue. Uh, not because... I'm, I'm agreeing or disagreeing with this point of view, but because he's one of the few people that understands it, to be candid, I'm not even making light of that. So many of these lawmakers in both sides of the aisle, whenever I go to these hearings, they truthfully are – they don't understand digital currency. Folks who do understand digital currency. Doug High, Republican strategist, former RNC communications director. Do you have Bitcoin, Doug? I do not have Bitcoin. I've actually worked on Bitcoin issues. You have, I, so do you under- I do understand it a little bit. What's a Bitcoin? Well, okay. so <laughs> I'm kidding. how much time do we have? I'm glad he asked you, Doug. I have a <laughs> concept myself. I have a concept myself. There's Joe Crowley, former New York congressman and Democratic caucus chair. All right, so Zuckerberg's on the Hill. Talking about having a week. I mean, he's been, you know, Georgetown. He's been talking. He's been really taking a different tone. Everybody thought he was going to be boring. Nope. Zuckerberg 2.0 is aggressive and on offense, Doug. Yeah, I think that's what they need to be. They, they've been really taking it for, you know, more than a year now, probably two or three uh, going, uh, certainly going back to the 2016 campaign. And, and as they go into 2020, uh, where there are going to be a lot of questions about um, Russian interference, and not just Russian, but, you know, pick your country that may want to interfere and, and, and um, infiltrate, whether it's hacking or, or however you define things, it's a real problem. You know, one of my old bosses is Senator Richard Burr, and, and if you ask him what his concerns are, he'll tell you, you know, Senate Intel Chair, he'll say, number one, cyber, number two, cyber, number three, cyber. Wow. And then you've got the notion, I mean, Tyler Pager, Bloomberg's Tyler Pager, uh, reported yesterday with that big scoop that he was that Zuckerberg was emailing Buttigieg's campaign along with his wife about who to hire. And then the other campaigns, some of them, not Elizabeth Warren, not Kamala Harris, but the other ones were very quiet to because <laughs> you know I mean I'm I'm speculating, but it was interesting. I guess a follow up question putting on my reporter cap would be well, did you email with Zuckerberg, too, about who to hire? So, I mean, his influence is, is ever-growing, Joe. Well, I, I also think, though, if I'm Zuckerberg, 
I'm actually grateful I'm not talking about the other issues. I'm <laughs> yes. talking about Bitcoin now. Yeah. It's like, because you know that most members probably don't have a full handle on it. Yeah. And uh, most Americans don't understand it. You know, this the, this, this new currency, you know, and, and the threats that may be there and, and how it can be used in, in a legitimate way as well. So uh, I think if I'm, if I'm Mark, I'm, I'm like, you know, Swiping the sweat off my brow right now. All right. And, you well, know, the, con- the congressional oversight on this, which you bring up, Congressman, is is fascinating. It, what a shock that Congress doesn't fully get it, which is not a partisan issue. It's it's more an age issue. The last, it was last year, the year before, there was the hearing where you basically had members of Congress asking, so when I pull up this application on my phone, oh boy. sometimes it doesn't load, and oh boy. it was not really the best face forward. Like, these Congress- are my former colleagues. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to defend them. To the you know what, let's here, be so. honest. These are all of our relatives. <laughs> uh, all right, time for my favorite part of the show. What's, uh, what's on your radar? Doug, we'll start with you. What's on your radar? Uh, vulnerable Republican senators. I'm yes. looking at Cory Gardner, Tom Tillis from my home state, Olympia Snow, Joni Ernst. One of the things we hear so often— You think Joni Ernst is vulnerable? Potentially so, yes. And one of the things that we hear so often about Republicans is, well, they're not opposing Trump because they've got an issue on on primary politics. And having worked for Eric Cantor, I understand that issue. Um, But a lot of them have have an issue in the general as well. And so if if they speak out against Trump and that base doesn't show up in the general election, well, forget the primary. Uh, They've they've maybe already moved past that. They've got a problem in November as well. It's a very fine line that they've got to negotiate. Yeah, that's— yeah, good. Uh, what's on your What's on your radar? Jim? What I've been trying to wrap around my head or try to figure out is to as why the president reversed himself on holding the G seven at his place. Same and the row. The, the, the only thing I, I don't want to give it advertisement. I know so. <laughs> The, I mean, the, I think every okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's the route. I mean, I I was. I, and the only mind. thing I can think of so is like, did he do this talking. to divert attention from his turkey or the impeachment issues? You know, I don't, I don't know, know either. what because once he makes his mind up, he just goes ahead and does it. Um, I was really kind of surprised that he actually flipped on that. All right, you know what? Uh, you know what's on my radar? Does you guys see this? I mean, now I'm like a, 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 a pause, dramatic pause. Remember that New York Times op-ed that no one knows who wrote it? Remember oh, that? yes, of course. They're yeah. writing a book. The book's coming out in November. So yeah. the anonymous author of President Trump's resistance op-ed is publishing a tell-all book. And even beyond this, they're not saying who the author is. And the, the Times has gone through great lengths to protect the anonymity of the author and the publishing house and whatnot. I mean, this book, buckle up, because if you, this book is going to be... This is arguably no one. It's like what was that one? Primary colors. No one knew who wrote that. This is like primary colors on steroids, Joe. But I got to tell you, I would have a, a great deal more respect for it. Come forward, if they, same. If they gave their name and said who they are. Um, look, it's going to be intriguing anyway. We're all going to be reading it and, and getting the tidbits out of it. But at the end of the day, it's much more validating if you actually put your name on on the paper. And, and, and own up to it. I'm on Amazon.com uh, right now, and I'm looking at this. It's just it's called a warning. That's the title, a warning, and then, uh, and then a red a red thing, mm. a red line, and then it says anonymous. Yeah, Doug, he should say he or she, whoever wrote this thing, should say who they are. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Now, the the question I have is, you know, if this is somebody who still works in the in the White House or in the federal government. Well, how are they going to report this in their financial disclosure? And your reporters go question. through these on yeah. a pretty fine detail. So if all of a sudden somebody has from Pendant Publishing to pick a fictitious publishing company, you know, a million-dollar check, we're going to figure that out pretty quickly. And unless you're waiting on your pension to stick around, you know, yeah. I would just say who you are. <laughs> Do the Nats win tonight, Doug, yes or no? Sure. Look, 
I think the Nats are a great team, great pitching, but, man, Houston just destroyed the Yankees, and the Yankees were a great team. I'd argue the Yankees destroyed the Yankees, that, but that's no, the a whole Yankees other— Just because you said that, I'm saying the Nats, Nats have a blowout but, win. But what, what a pitching matchup tonight. You know, should be fantastic. It should be. It, um, I don't. I don't like hurting Kevin's feelings at all. So, like, a lot of you know what? A lot of people don't mind, Joe. <laughs> You're in the wrong place, buddy. All right, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Doug. It's great thanks, to have Kevin. you both Thank on. You. Let's go, Nats. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Sure. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Go Nats. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.